dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. All of us engaged in business know the scenario. The people at the top have the answers. The people at the bottom have the wherewithal. The people at the top become frustrated that the people at the bottom don't execute. And the people at the bottom become frustrated because the people at the top don't listen. How do we reverse this paradigm? In 2011, the Catholic Church issued a document called the Vocation of the Catholic Business Leader. It issued six principles to govern leadership in this environment. And its fourth principle, that of subsidiarity, tackles just this question. First of all, I want to begin by applauding all of you for being here and for having the courage to tackle a subject which is just not simple, but which is so important. And matter of fact, if we can nail this one subject, we could have exponential difference in our business, not only in terms of profitability, but also just in terms of sheer enjoyment and impact. And here in a special way, I want to say that what we're going to talk about today is important for all of you who are seeking to leave a legacy behind you in your companies. Some of you own your companies, you're passing it on to your next generation of workers, and you're really concerned that your spirit is going to maintain itself and be represented in your company in the future. This is for you, right? It's just that it's not easy. Because in the same hand, what we're talking about here is finding a balance that integrates things that otherwise we're really easily able to, to diagnose and divide. Almost like say, these are opposites. And our role is to take two things that are opposite and to find a way forward that combines them, right? And, and so many people get tired by that and they say, Father, there's no way to do that. And I want to laugh and say, this is why Christ is calling you to believe in him and have faith. The number of people engaged in excellent ways in our economy who find faith boring or don't even really see the utility for faith beyond some sort of like feeling good in case of, of trouble is enormous. And I like to say the reason is because they don't try to apply their faith effectively to the society in which they live. Well, you are business leaders at the St. John Leadership Network here. We're here to teach you how to do just that. I want to help you who are believers to make a difference there where you exert your influence, there where you're called to lead. Well, now you're going to have it. It's going to be really hard <laughs> because you say like, how do I do that? And then how do I do that in a way that's really Catholic? How do I do that in a way that's faithful to Christ? I say, welcome to the realism of what it means to be, try to become a saint. You don't become a saint by reading books and by spending all of your time doing things that monks do when you're not called to be a monk, right? So if you're called to be a business leader, you need to become a saint while you're running your business, while you're managing your people, while you're working in your profession. And that is a real challenge. Well, in 2011, the Vatican issued this document. It gave six principles that were, are there to guide you in your efforts, to really help you to say, follow these principles anyway, and you'll be halfway there at least, you know? And so 
And the fourth of these principles is a really good one. So the Vatican organized them according to three subjects that say you have to do good goods, right? So make things that are good. Run your business. You have to have good workers, right? So take care of your workers and then good wealth. In other words, manage your profit and your wealth in a way that's in conformity with the gospel, right? Well, in this, the fourth of these principles, which is in the second section there of good workers, the principle is that they call subsidiarity, right? So this is a big word. It doesn't mean a lot to us, but it's a very important word in academia and a very important word in Catholic tradition. I want to try to break it down to apply it to you. What subsidiarity basically means is that the work done by at a lower level or a level that's closer to the actual work being done should be respected and enhanced and not usurped by upper levels. Right? So if you think about this, usually it's done in terms of the state. Like when it comes to education, this is why the Catholic Church says education is a right for every family to decide and schools are only there to assist the parent in their responsibility to educate their children. So obviously we send them to schools or we choose to homeschool them if we, and that right to make that decision is left up to the parents. Why? Because the parents are the ones with the responsibility. You should empower the people with responsibility to be, and, and to apply that responsibility in as close a level to the effect rendered as you possibly can. Empowering your people, in other words, to make decisions on the ground, right? The military tries to do this in, in, in battle for its success. And businesses need to try to do the same thing, not only because it's profitable, which because it is, but also because it's what makes workers work the best that they can. It's a, it's a fundamental question that we struggle with. And as your company gets older, we have a lot of these issues that come up. How is it that I can pass on everything that I know, 46 years of running this company, how, who's going to be my successor? And you look around you, yourself and you say, I got to think of a succession plan, right? Well, if I got to think of a succession plan at my level, I got to think of a, a succession plan at every level. Who's going to replace my managers? Who's going to know the knowledge that they know in the productive aspects of their different lines that they're producing? Uh, and to do that, I mean, I think about this going right down, you know, succession planning involves trying to find not just people who know things, but people who can do them the same or better than the people that you currently have. And it's a huge challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about. A lot of small business owners don't think about because every day we're just trying to make enough money to stay alive, basically. And so we do all kinds of things and we get good at doing them. But if we don't pass that knowledge on, it's going to die with us. And the business might just die with us as well. Well, so how do I do that? That's subsidiarity. And the more that I can think of inculcating systems in place that actually do that, the more that I'm not only effective in my workplace in terms of profitability, but also that I create this attitude where everybody owns the business and they feel responsible for what they do. It's a really important moment for a business when they make that decision to lead leaders and to raise up not just employees, but to raise up people who feel like they own the business and are a part of it. Well, see, do you see how I use the word to feel, right? That that's, makes it a hard, it's a challenging thing. 
But that's why you're here. This is why you need God, right? It is a challenge. It's much easier in, on one level to just do it all yourself, to keep on doing it. But you're going to limit the growth of your business, the productivity of the business. And in the end, do you really think Jesus is just calling you in to do this thing and to have people work for you so that you can make money for a while and then retire? If you do, not only are you boring, <laughs> but you're also wrong. <laughs> I mean, in fact, you have a purpose that transcends your business. Your business is given to you as an opportunity for you to glorify God, but it's also a place for you to make this world better. And the responsibility that comes with owning or running a business or being responsible for an effect over a team is the responsibility of enabling and ennobling everyone who works there for you so that they actually live better lives and can not only enjoy their time, but become better people through it. And that, and, and that requires this thing we call subsidiarity. So let's take a look at it. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So I want to talk to you about subsidiarity and we're studying here how we can apply this principle there in our places of work. So what is it? Well, in paragraph 50 of the vocation of the Catholic business leader that we find the Vatican issuing in 2011, this is what they write. They say, the principle of subsidiarity recognizes that in human societies, smaller communities exist within larger ones. For example, a family, itself a small community, is part of a village or a city, which is in turn a part of a country, a state, or a province, and then a nation. The principle insists that the gifts and freedom of those closest to the effects to be felt should not be arbitrarily disregarded. Right? So that the gifts and freedom of those who are closest to the effects to be felt should not be disregarded. Right? It's, it's more than that. It's actually that those, then, those same gifts and freedom of those who are closest to the effects be enhanced and be supported by the larger communities. So it's a vision, in other words, of servant leadership. And this document actually says at the very end, it says, working under the principle of subsidiarity calls for restraint and a humble acceptance of the role of a servant leader. It's a beautiful invitation for us. In other words, a lot of us think about business as being a kind of pyramid, right? You got those on the bottom, which is the broadest numbers, and then management, and then upper management, then senior management, and then, of course, your leadership circle or your president, your CEO, and then the board, right? And they form like, as you go up the ladder, you become fewer in number, and yet you become more and more important. It takes the shape of a pyramid, right? Well, servant leadership is to flip that paradigm literally upside down and to say that the most important people in the organization are the ones that are actually doing the work closest to the effects. They're the people who are served by management, who are served by upper lane management, who are then served by senior management, who are all served by the CEO. Where the, in other words, where I have a corporation where those who are actually doing the work are given all of those levels of intelligence and expertise in order to assist them. 
but their own voice, their own input, their own skill set is not only accounted for, it's esteemed, supported, and is seen as the most important aspect to get the work done that's getting done, right? That's a mindset shift that's huge, but it's a very important one because it's the one that Jesus himself espoused, right? He looked at the 12 and then he washed their feet. And he said, I who am your Lord and master, if I wash your feet, then you also should wash one another's feet. Another point he said, the one who is greatest among you will be the one who serves the rest. What's he saying? Obviously, he's not saying that there's not hierarchy. He's not saying that there's not authority. He's also, you know, not being naive and just saying that the people who are, you know, doing the work, therefore, are necessarily going to be the most responsible or care the most. This is usually not the case. But it's saying that that's the goal. To vision authority in the workplace as an act of service that to enable and ennoble those who work for you as if, in fact, you worked for them. And this document underscores it's going to take a lot of restraint, right? I think the word restraint actually is better translated as listening, right? To keep your mouth shut and to trust and to listen and to elicit the opinions of those who work for you, to listen to them, to incorporate. It takes a lot of humility, in other words. But this humility, if it's done correctly, actually makes them more responsible. And that's the target. The role of a Christian business leader, in other words, is not to have slaves, <laughs> you know, it, engaged in our different labors for us at different levels or to make people feel that way as if they were inconsequential in the work. No, the principle of subsidiarity is to say that my role as a manager and as a leader is to actually make sure that you can do your trades work, your implementation, your physical manipulation with the data, whatever it is, and to do it the best that you can. So what's necessary for that? How do we do that? Well, the Vatican gives three wonderful little principles. Number one, it says, it's paragraph 52. It says, we need to define the scope of autonomy and decision-making at every level in the company. The business leader should allow these to be as significant as possible, but set clear limits so that decision rights do not exceed a person or group's access to the information required to make the decision, and so that their decisions do not have consequences beyond the realm of responsibility, right? So the very first thing that we have to do, in other words, in our company is organize it, right? Surprise, surprise, right? It, it, it's in many ways the hardest thing to do, but that's our responsibility, it's in other words, but when you organize it, you organize it in order to give responsibility to the groups that you organize. Right? And to do that correctly, the Vatican is saying, be very careful that you don't say you need to make decisions without information or that the decisions that you make will go beyond what you're responsible for. Right? So you have to stay in your lane and your lane entails this amount of information but the key is not the information. The key is the responsibility. When I organize a structure, in other words, if everything flows up to the top and everything flows from the top, it will be weak, much weaker than if the buck stop here attitude 
actually stopped a lot lower than the president's desk. You know what I'm referring to, right? Dwight Eisenhower had that on his desk. The buck stops here, right? And so that was really great. But he was the president of the entire organization called the United States government. It'd be a lot better if the buck stopped at one level, you know, up instead of at the 20th level up, right? Wouldn't that be neat? It'd be more than neat. It'd be Christian because my workers would feel empowered to make the decisions that they need to make. So obviously there's checks and balances here and there's scope and there's, under, there's competing interests and those things aren't really accounted for in this document. You can tell this was not written for the application phase, but the principle remains the same. To the degree that I can, uh, I need to empower my local teams with the ability to not only make decisions, but to be responsible for their outcomes. And then I have to, of course, manage that process and make sure that mistakes aren't made, et cetera, but, but, or that they're minimalized. But it would be a bigger mistake to just have an army of a thousand people who somehow or other don't take any sense of real responsibility or collaboration in the workplace. And the financial bottom line will suffer from it as much as the work culture. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. So what difference does it really make if a Catholic is running a job or a Christian, right, uh, is running a job, a Christian of any of the, the denominations? What difference does it make for us to be in charge? Well, you should be able to tell the difference by the way that we organize a company. According to the Vatican's document, 2011 vocation of the Catholic business leader, there are three different things that mark what it means to run a Christian company with the principle of subsidiarity, right? So in investing, in other words, in this concept that the lower that you go is actually the higher that you go. The people who are closest to producing the work need to be valued and listened to and served by the rest of the organization. And what, what a difference this makes. And so, yeah, we can allow people to run companies however they want, and God bless everybody. But in the end, we who are Christians, we need to be helping our workers to become better workers. Where do we see the dividends in this? Of course, bottom line. But number two, a workplace culture where people want to come to work. No one wants to come to work to feel disempowered, right? No one wants to come to work to say that they actually have no say in what happens. People want to work in a workplace where they get to deploy their creative energies and demonstrate their intelligence, their talents, to show where these, and, and of course the products being made would benefit also most of the time from their wherewithal. It's not an ideal, it's not a, a naivety to say that this always works in practicality. It's a goal to be looked towards. And so the document gives three different applications for subsidiarity. And the very first says, look, your job as a business leader is to organize things so that subsidiarity can actually take, uh, take effect. And, and so first thing you need to do is create a place where the responsibility is given to those who are closest to the effect to be rendered. So it makes a lot of, of sense in a big environment, right? By departments, and then your departments, by your, your teams based on projects, 
and to really make those teams responsible for their effects, right? So that sounds neat, but you can apply this also in different areas, even in very small environments. The idea is just really simple. The ones actually doing it need to be listened to and supported by the rest. <laughs> kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> Second part of the application here of the principle of subsidiarity that we have to do as the leaders of the organization is to provide employees the needed tools and training and to ensure that they have the knowledge and skills to carry out their tasks, right? So this is said earlier in the document as saying that the right people need to be in the right position, right? And we know this can be hard because it's one of the hardest things to get your people right and understand that. And there's a lot of empathy and work to be done, including with our HR teams, to help identify where a person's strengths lie and to be sure that they don't exceed on the one hand. This is where the naivety of an application based upon pure charity can actually be the under, undermining of the entire endeavor. You can't just expect people to be able to do things. Many people have limitations in their, in their approach and their upbringing and their, the way that their mind works that precludes their ability to effectuate change at the level that you need them to. Right? So but being able to identify that is key. And then putting that person, making sure that they're at a spot in the organization where they can flourish, where they're able to give the unique set of gifts that they can give. And that, that's a challenge. It takes constant work and intelligence. But it's a work that we have to engage in. That's what we're saying here. That in a Christian-owned company or Christian-managed affair, the people are respected and that they given the tools and the training that they need to carry out the tasks with the knowledge and the skills necessary, right? So we don't put people in a position, in other words, where they're going to fail without supporting that position. I'm just making the point that sometimes that that just doesn't work. The people just can't do it, period. Well, if that's the case, finding a position where they can excel, everyone will be happier. You know, this is a, a dilemma that religious life faces a lot of times. Because in religious life, you're, you're kind of always asking the folks to sacrifice or push themselves and expand. And so sometimes in religious life, the world of monks, of priests, of nuns, things like that, there can be places where the person is asked to do too much, just frankly. And because they're, they're asked to stretch beyond their capacities. And this, but in fact, the religious life would benefit from this principle of saying, actually, no, you look for a person's strengths and you put them where they're strong. But that might mean for me that I have to bend over backwards as the leader to then invest economically in that training and in the, in the tools that my people need. So I could ask you then a little examination of conscience for you who are business. Are you listening to your people when they say they need this new program, when they say that they need this new environment? Do you feel like you can trust them? Well, that's actually the third point, because I think a lot of times the answer is no. We actually don't feel like we can trust them. And to be honest, if we ask the employees, they would say, no, we don't feel like we can trust you either, right? So, and where that breaks down, you're not going to have an effective team. You see, it's, it's more than pop psychology. It's more than self-help here. This is a truth that's simply wired in what we call human cooperation. Cooperation is dynamically enhanced by trust, exponentially enhanced by trust. 
So it, it, when Gallup did a, a survey of folks and they asked them, what makes your leader effective? They came up with four qualities of an effective leader. This was a Gallup poll that was done years ago. But the first quality was vision, right? That my leader has a vision. But the second and third qualities are number two, can my leader be trusted by me? And number three, does my leader trust me? It was only the fourth was passion. You know, so two of the four qualities were kind of the greatness of the individual leader. He has a vision and he has passion. Okay, wonderful. We're so happy for you, right? But that's only half of leadership. The other half of leadership was whether or not I could trust that person and whether or not I felt like that person trusted me, right? And so we, we read from the Vatican here, it's actually prescient. The Vatican says, to establish a corporate culture of trust is necessary so that those to whom tasks and responsibilities have been given will make their decisions with genuine freedom. The company informed by subsidiarity nurtures mutual respect and shared responsibility among all personnel. It allows employees to clearly appreciate the link between good results and their sincere engagement. All right, so now let's just talk about trust in, 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 a, in a general sense. It gives you some actual concrete things. Number one, to nurture mutual respect and shared responsibility, right? That goes back to that first idea. Do I actually empower my people, not just delegating by saying, I'm gonna give you authority right now to make a decision, but I can take it back to you from any time, but actually making them responsible by saying, hey, I'm gonna stick with you through this. We need you to succeed here. So of course that requires a certain type of person that requires an, an excellent, but when you have those people, you need to invest in them. When you have people that are capable of leading, you need to let them lead, right? And that means letting go a little bit, right? But that, that also will nurture respect for them, which will actually gain you respect back in, 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 in the right environment. But if you've got a good person, they'll respect you for respecting them. And that shared responsibility empowers everyone beneath you to actually own the company with you. And isn't that what we're all looking for? Second aspect that it talks about here is it says that it allows employees to clearly appreciate the link between good results and sincere engagement. In other words, there's a type of incentivization and reward here to say that your good work and your sincere engagement actually yields good results for the company. This is the type of investment in our people that we need to give. My question for you as we close here is if Jesus was managing you, how would you want Jesus to manage you, right? Wouldn't you want him to believe in you, to trust you, to encourage you like a father? Wouldn't you want to see him build you up so that you could even move into greater engagement? Yes, you would. Well, that's the same vision that the church is saying we should have as leaders for our people. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.